So you're saying to yourself, yo, sir, dude, I wanted to see Kevin Smith in Halifax, Nova Scotia, but the motherfucker sold out. Well, after I shed a tear for you, I highly recommend bookmarking csmod.com. That's the place on the worldwide interwebs to see all upcoming Smodco shows, updated with linky links to Tiki Tickets. Say it with me, baby. csmod.com. Nice. Ooh, I just got a little hard there. So, you're saying, yo, sir, dude, I love sir, and I want to show the world. Wear your sir love with our official t-shirts, biatch. Fishies have no eyes. Let us fuck. Jay and Silent Bob get old. The Garmy. There's also posters, action figures. There's so many to choose from. Grab your smirch at smodcast.com. Scroll down and click on Smerchandise. This is Kelly Carlin, and uh, welcome to Waking from the American Dream.
That was called Shake That Thing. I know you're shocked that that's what it was called. That was by Tin Pan Band. You know them. They're the guys I found in Central Park playing in the middle of the park with their horns and their hats and their amazingness and, uh, you know, just walking around, typical New York day, and, you know, ran into this incredible set of musicians making this incredible music. And I said, hey, can I play your song on my podcast? And I said, of course. So everyone, welcome to the IHOP today. Uh, the IHOP, it's the International House of Podcasting. I have a British comic and a Pakistani hip-hop artist on today. I'm feeling like I'm doing my part for world peace and um, uh, pancakes. <laughs> okay. Uh, welcome, everyone. Um, I'm just going to have a small little introduction today because I've got so many great people to come and I want to let them talk about their greatness, not mine, <laughs> although they can talk about mine too if they want, if they can figure it out. Uh, anyway, uh hope your guys' Valentine's Day was nice, although it's a completely false, made-up, stupid holiday. I spent mine at jury duty. Uh, I did manage to get out of jury duty because, yes, I did follow my father's advice. I told the judge that uh, I'd make a fantastic juror because I can spot a guilty person just like that. <laughs> no, actually, I just whined about being self-employed and how I'm poor. <laughs> if I don't coach and I don't do my work every day, then I get screwed and I can do it for one week. I can do jury duty for one week. Sign me up for three or four days, even five days. I am on your jury. I'm going to be a fair, amazing citizen. I'm going to hold all the evidence in my mind and do a great job. But ask me to do six, seven, eight, or nine days, and I'm going to be a bitter woman, and you're going to jail, or you're going to pay the other person a lot of money. So I'm glad I got out of that. Um, and I hope you all were listening on Sunday to my interview with Robin Williams. If you weren't, I'm going to be so personally hurt. Um, it was great. Had a great talk with Robin. We had pre-recorded that up in San Francisco at Sketchfest, and Robin is um, a funny person. And it was so funny because I was listening to the interview. I made myself listen because I never listened to myself. And I giggled the whole time like a schoolgirl and kept saying, right, yes, right. I'm like, ugh, shut up, Kelly. Just let him talk. So I promise, I hopefully I didn't do that with Eddie Izzard. I don't know if I did or not. I'm much more of a giggling schoolgirl around him because I have a total fucking crush on Eddie. Um, but if you missed my interview with Robin, it's going to be on our other channel 
on Sirius XM, the main channel for me, which is our Carlin's Corner. And I'm going to be on Saturday, let's see, Saturday at noon Eastern and Sunday at 2 p.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern. And the nice thing about it being on Carlin's Corner is they they play it all in one big lump, whereas on Raw Dog on Sunday, they played a snippet of interview and then a snippet of comedy, which was great because he really, Chris Colbert, who's my producer, he really weaved in really, really great comedy, perfectly in sync with the interview. So it was a really fun way to do it. But if you just want to hear the interview in its entirety, then come see us at Channel 400 Carlin's Corner, and you can get that online in your mobile device. And yes, you have to subscribe, but you get like 400 fucking channels when you subscribe, people, okay? It's like eight bucks a month, so relax. Stop it. Jesus, just don't buy a freaking latte twice a month, okay? Stop whining. I can hear you whining right now. Stop that. Um, and, uh, before we get, begin, I just want to mention again, because I am the queen of this podcast and I can talk about whatever I want, um, uh, my performance next Friday, not, not, not tomorrow, but the following Friday, the 24th down at the Santa Monica Playhouse, a Carlin home companion. There's still about 20 tickets left, something around that. And they're only $20. I mean, it's just one little ATM visit. It's really cheap. You know, it's not a lot. And let me tell you, you get 90 solid minutes of pure emotional fucking roller coaster for that 20 bucks. It's, it's like way better than any movie you're going to see for like what, 12 bucks. And then you get the drink and the popcorn for 20 bucks. Way better. You are going to come away. You're going to have laughed. You're going to have cried. You're going to have found out about the day the sun exploded. You're going to understand uh things about my family that even I don't understand. Isn't that worth it? <laughs> I just made that laugh. Yes. So uh please come down. You can find more info about that on my website uh, when you go to the Carlin Home Companion tab on my website or just go to browntickets.com and uh you know type in the Carlin Home Companion and you'll find it there. So please come see me in Santa Monica and then I come out afterwards and we can laugh and hug and cry and have a beer and and get all jolly and lovely. I said jolly because Matt's here. Okay, let's jump in. Uh, I've got a little comedy here first with Matt and we're going to play a little piece of his stand up and then we will discuss. While we're on the subject, abstinence-only sex education, that's just creepy. That, that really is. You know what I'm talking about. You know, when they go into the schools and they tell the kids, don't have sex till you're married, and even then, don't enjoy it. <laughs> and, and I don't care if you have made a personal, individual, independent decision to save yourself until marriage. Unless you're someone I fancy. <laughs> But it's none of my business, it's none of theirs. Because since it got brought in, and this is a beautiful statistic, because there was a study done in one of the areas, and there was an increase in the rate of teenage virginity, which is what they wanted. But there was also a decrease in the rate of teenage anal virginity. (laughs) I know, because they don't tell them that's not allowed, because they can't bring themselves to discuss it. And the kids think, yeah! (laughs) Loophole! (laughs) so to speak (laughs) that one's okay that one's fine Jesus doesn't mind a bit of bumming (laughs) you've seen the pictures he's not averse to suffering (laughs) but that's the thing they are geniuses they're so good at marketing themselves because their main argument is logically foolproof they go into the schools and they say kids Abstinence is the safest form of contraception. 
Of course it is. Of course abstinence is the safest form of contraception. Staying at home is the safest form of transport. People with anorexia rarely get food poisoning. Cigarette companies are actually, they're another group of people who are amazing at marketing themselves. They are evil geniuses. This is how good they are at marketing tobacco as a product. I have a favourite brand of cigarette, and a second favourite, and a third choice. I don't smoke. I have never smoked, but I have an opinion on it. And I know I'm not the only non-smoker who's done that before, who's had some smokers off around some cigarettes, and you thought, oh, that's a good one. I like that brand, that brand that I've never tasted in my life. No, you don't. You just like the marketing and the packaging that goes with it. Like, it's amazing how much marketing affects you. I've, I've got tampon preferences. Just in case. It's never been an issue. But if it does become one, I know which way I'm going. And I'm not going supermarket own brand. Because with this kind of a problem, quality counts. I'd imagine. <laughs> well, that's the very funny Matt Kirshen. Uh Matt is uh, from uh, North London. He's been on Last Comic Standing. I don't know if I watched it that year. I, I, I wouldn't mind you. if you didn't. I don't remember. Uh, I take no offense from that. I and was it the second year it was on? No, I was on, I was on like the fifth year. I was on oh, season five God, in really... 07. They've had, I think they've had eight seasons now. It keeps, it keeps going away and, and then coming back yeah, again. Yeah, that's, I think that's the problem. I never know. Is it on? Is it on? Not on? Is it on? Yeah, it resurfaces. Uh, like herpes. Yes, just like herpes. Um, and you also, you, your album was, uh, on the top 10 list at, on Punchline, which was very cool. It was very nice of them. Yeah. And you were nominated, you were nominated for best joke last year. It's <laughs> from a magazine. That's another thing that just keeps resurfacing. This, this one joke, like, here, here's the deal. Every, well, most years I do the Edinburgh Festival. Right. Um, at the end of the festival, or towards the end of the festival, various different newspapers do a kind of roundup of the best jokes of the festival. Mm-hmm. Here's a little, uh, let you into a little, like, secret, like, behind the curtain or whatever. Here's what, here's what you're supposed to think happens. <laughs> you're supposed to think that journalists sit in every show and write down their favorite jokes. <laughs> you would think. And... And then they compile a list of the top ten, which is actually what happens at Montreal. Um, yeah. The Montreal Gazette do that. They sit in, they don't sit in every show, but they go to all the galas and they write down their favorite jokes and there's, they do a list. Mm-hmm. Um, Edinburgh, there's thousands of shows. And what actually happens is uh, most people have a publicist and there's about ah. six publicists who do most of the shows. <laughs> and the journalists just email those six publicists and goes, go, get your ex to send in their favorite jokes. Uh, <sighs> so my show... That, the show I did this year, uh-huh. or last last year now, I guess it was, yeah. it was, it was, it was pretty storytelling, and it was all longer set pieces. It wasn't very one linery. Yeah. So I just sent in a couple of tweets that I'd sent that week. <laughs> just, <laughs> uh, uh, so this is the joke. But you were in Edinburgh during. I the was tweets, in Edinburgh. I was so legitimately in Edinburgh, yeah. and it was yeah, yeah, and it was a joke that I wrote myself. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a joke that has never worked on stage. <laughs> like it's just, but it worked perfectly. It's, it's, it's much more. Yeah, so much. The joke is, and it's it doesn't really suit delivery. The joke. The joke is, I was I was playing chess with my friend, and he said, "Let's make this more interesting." So we stopped playing chess. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an 
great job. It, it works it's much better. It works much better. It doesn't fit my style. It works much better as a tweet. Yeah, it's but a it good got, tweet. It got onto that list, uh, and they did, and they did a press release, and right. so it suddenly got. And you know how jur- that newspapers don't have money to pay journalists anymore. No. So they just go scour press releases and Completely. read yeah. other newspapers and repeat the Which, stuff that's in those. So, right. so that story went around the world and I was finding hits for my name. Yes, I found many hits on, on, on that particular story on Google. Today. And then, yeah. well, and then again, and then the reason why it's resurfaced is. Just a few days ago, Loaded Magazine, which is a kind of like men's magazine in the UK, it's like yeah. GQ or Esquire or one of those ones, um, they have a comedy awards called The Laughters. Right. That's the one uh, I saw. Right. Yes. And that joke got renominated <laughs> <laughs> again for that. So, so they re- were basically so recycling. An- so there was another press other release. Journalists. So that went- yeah. Yeah. Right. And then I think that now the Telegraph has picked up that story and they've done another poll. So <sighs> this joke just keeps, I don't mind because every time the joke gets in the news, I sort of get more Twitter followers and my uh, name gets out there yeah, again. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So I- I'm happy about that for, You're ha- for 30 seconds work. I'm that's- happy about their laziness. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They've, they've encouraged my laziness. <laughs> they've helped it. And um, you've been on Craig Fergie and you did um, Jimmy Fallon. How was that doing Jimmy Fallon? And- oh, the, nice. I mean, really fun. Both of them were fun. Um, Jimmy, I Jimmy, I know a bit. I did some college gigs with him. And well, I first met Jimmy when um, I was one of the writers on. There's a charity gig. I think they're about to re- redo it, but in New York, it's called the Secret Policeman's Ball. Oh, and yeah, it's I a, remember that. It's an sure. amnesty show. It was originally set up by Peter Cook and the Pythons. Yeah. And Eddie Izzard's behind the sort of, was behind the rebirth of it. Yeah. Um, and I was just, I was just a writer for hire on, mm-hmm. like I was just sort of in the rehearsals beforehand, right? Cause they, cause as well as people doing their own things, they'll get, they'd like to pair up some of the sure. people on the show and do, um, sure. little collaborations. So I was helping to write sketches and I got, I got signed to Jimmy. Jimmy Fallon was one of the Americans who got flown over for it. Oh, cool. So I first met him then about, six years ago and then he recognized me when i did last comic and got me out to do a few college gigs with him and that's again how late down the line i ended up doing his shows that so that was cool it was nice to see him again he was lovely he he gave me a great intro and, and waved did, my cd right in the camera for a long time at yeah, the end of my set. and it was a good set too oh, that's very kind of you thank you yeah uh f- craig i've craig this is the sum total of the <laughs> <laughs> this is this is all the contact i've had with craig i got to the studio there's a card waiting for me in the studio uh sorry in the dressing room <laughs> Uh, signed by him that just said don't fuck it up craig <laughs> and then and then on the crossover um because i um because ferguson pre-tapes a lot of the stand-ups yes um which is something like when i did fallon i did it on the night that i was in and it was just i was in the studio with everyone right. um ferguson kind of builds up of quite a few stand-ups in a row yeah and then if they have a show where they're like okay no we're going to be six minutes short on this one let's chuck in a stand-up right and so then craig will introduce it so you'll notice quite often you don't see him and the comic in the <laughs> in the room together because it just cuts straight across to a previous right um okay so so he didn't even introduce me on the night that i did that taping so all all the contact i had with him was that card and then i met him on the crossover and he sort of said hi to me and then looked at me straight again and went seriously don't fuck it up (laughs) (laughs) which actually that's a really sweet thing to say to a comic it's awesome like that's the kind of thing yeah you don't say to that to someone who you think might actually fuck it up so it's quite it's yeah he's got great confidence it's quite a nice it's a nice thing to someone to say that is that is that is very good but both of them they were they didn't play like tv studios particularly craig because craig's so loose and improvisational yes like he you know he doesn't even do a monologue in the traditional sense he's just he does stand up. He talks to them. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even funny. Like he sometimes does 
here's the thing I need to get up. The thing he did for Britney Spears. Fascinating. Yeah. Did you see that one? No, no. Oh, it was wonderful. Um, it's on YouTube and it's, you know, got silly hits. It was Mm -hmm. about 10 minutes long and it was, um, a few years ago. You know, when Britney Spears had that breakdown and she shaved her head. Yes. And he goes on and goes, um, like he got, he sort of go, uh, so Britney Spears has been in the news or something like that. And there's a bit of a chuckle in the audience and he sort of cuts it down and goes, and tells the audience, I, I know you expect me right now to make jokes about that. That's what we do on these shows normally. But here's why I'm not going to. Wow. And he starts talking about how, like his rock bottom, then his battle with drink, wow. recovery, uh-huh. and sort of ends with a plea for anyone who's going through that to get help. Wow. And it, it's it was very real. It very real, very powerful in the middle yeah. of in the middle of a late show. Like it's, yeah, <laughs> totally. it's not. It's totally not the environment. And right. it, on a show that you know the next segment probably had like dancing puppets I'm and that sure. kind of thing. But, Silliness. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, wow, that's beautiful. So it play his his studio plays like a comedy club. That's great. So that's, does Jimmy's as well because his studio is just fun. You got the roots there, and you got yeah. Um, that's Conan's old studio, I think, the one that Jimmy's in. It, uh, it looks like it. It looks. Like it it's might the same well shape be of, because he took over from it. Although I yeah. think I thought there was a slight overlap. I thought he did a different studio just so that he could have a run in when Conan was getting ready to finish. Oh, maybe so that maybe. he got a running start. Maybe yeah. It's just I know that kind of maybe they have the same size kind of ones, but there's a bunch of different ones there. But that one looks like it's the same kind of. Yeah, it's quite a small narrow, studio. Yeah, it's much smaller than well, TV. I remember the first time when I was a little kid went to the Carson show with my dad and right the the drapes behind Johnny Carson. It looked like a Barbie set. It was so small. It was like, yeah, wow, the, first time I got to... the TV, the camera totally changes it. Yeah. It's just a little corner of the room and everything. <laughs> yeah. They make it look massive. They do. You feel like it's this huge thing and it's just this little, it's very, very strange. Yeah. It's the size of someone's living room. It's just <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Although it wasn't, didn't Carson do it? Was he also in the Ed Sullivan theater or is he? he oh no, he was out in he was, LA, wasn't he? He was out here. Yeah. He was started in New York and then he came out here and he was in, he's in the place where Le- Leno is now. I mean, that's why Leno stayed. Right. in Burbank instead of going up to Universal Studios which you know they but they built the Universal Studios thing for him when he went to the 10 o'clock show but he moved back to his old stage right the old Carson stage there so did Conan then move into his studio for a bit uh yes I right. believe so yes and now I don't know where Conan does his stuff now I don't know oh Warner Brothers yeah see Logan knows things um, what did I want to ask you about? Oh, oh yeah, I was fascinated. You're a math student. Yep. Okay, so um, you go to university and you're studying math. Yes. What kind of math? <laughs> Were you doing algebra or fractions? <laughs> yeah, big counting. <laughs> like big numbers, oh, like big, big university big numbers. size numbers. <laughs> there was a. I was talking to someone about this the other day. Actually, we did have we had one lecturer who was who I think it was actually when we were there, he won the Fields Medal, which is like Mathematics Nobel Prize. There is no, there's oh. no Nobel for math, but there's the Fields Medal is sort of the most prestigious uh-huh. award. And he gave a lecture on what it was that he won it for. And it was basically big numbers. <laughs> like it was just, like his, the field he did was, it, it was all about, it was all about problems that you can't actually give a direct solution with. And it was about his, his fields was about coming up with better ways of estimating things that you can't give an exact okay, figure so, for. Okay, but, but, it, but it really does sound like that's what a 10 year old thinks <laughs> university math. So like the big, like the more, the further you get, the bigger the number. Really long division. Yeah. <laughs> like you write, like you need to go onto two pages. <laughs> totally, man. You need totally. to use different colored pens. Yes. Yeah. Which actually that was another Markov change. That course you did need. They were like the first thing they had was buy one of those pens that has the four colors on it because you're going to need it. Wow. But, um, no, it was, it was pure and applied maths. That was the course. Right. Um, 
So you you know I pick you pick and choose different topics. I went so more you, pure. But what were you going to do with that? With that, I hadn't thought it through. Oh, like I just you were just a math. I liked, person. I liked the subject. I liked it at school. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I was good at it. Uh, I knew that it's a fairly open. You know, I knew that whatever happened, it's just one of those fairly general degrees that you could then go into a very different jobs with. Right, and just go right. Hello, this is I'm smart. This is a proof that I'm not an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Although it turns out I wasn't as smart, because <laughs> like, it was, I went, I went to a decent university, and it was it, the most valuable thing. I, one of the most valuable things I got from it, and I think everyone should go through this at least once in their life, is the experience of becoming instantly average. Yes. Oh, I which, so can relate to that. Which is just yes. yeah, it's really good yeah. to go from being like as um like I was school wasn't an issue. I right. found school fairly easy. Yeah, didn't do much work then, and then just suddenly going from being. <laughs> You know, I was always, I was generally at school. I was within the top few in my class. Right, me too. But, yeah, and then suddenly just yeah. become hello. I'm mediocre. Yeah. Like you just suddenly meet the people who are really good. <laughs> right. Just, yeah. You meet all the other people who are the top few in their class, mm. and it turns out some of the classes were better than others. Very humbling. Yeah. I I remember I was uh, a math science person in high school, AP chem, AP physics, um, did calculus, got a little lost in the calculus days, but I think that was because I was smoking a tremendous amount of pot. Right. And which helps uh, with the initial stage. It did then, actually with the initial stage. And then conceptually a fine, it's just I, when you're actually yeah, working when it out. I actually had to work it out, could not do it anymore. And then I went to UCLA and thought, Oh, you know, maybe I'll go into the sciences. I was really interested in psychobiology and stuff like that. And then I saw what you had to take in order your prerequisites for psychobiology and um yeah no i yeah. would have been below average because at ucla there was a, there's a ton of asians and i i hate well, you, to do the stereotype you can't but compete with that <laughs> really really smart in this shit and i mean i took a statistics class for dummies because i ended up becoming a communications major and even that stat class it was right. like he started doing some sort of proof on the board or something and i'm thinking um yeah we're the humanities students do we really need to know this like i haven't had we don't need it proof we just seven if years. you tell us it's true we'll believe you <laughs> please please just tell me we just need a feeling i do i do <laughs> i can write a paper about what i'm feeling about in statistics class yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I I screwed up. I completely screwed. I stopped doing. I stopped going to lectures. I started writing stuff. I started performing, and I and I got re- and the trouble is that sub like a subject like that. Like if I was doing an art subject or a humanities, if you miss one, if you miss a year of lessons, <laughs> yeah, you can still get back into it because it's not cumulative. It's all sort of right. it's scattered around the different yes. topics. There'll right. be some terms that you might need to be redefined or whatever. But you know, if you've if you've missed the Dickens class, you'll still understand the Shakespeare class. You know, right, not... you'll still understand written English. Yeah. <laughs> whereas, whereas math is a subject, it's, it's cumulative. You know, yeah. if you've missed, like, if, if you've missed the first year analysis course, you're not going to understand the second year one because it's all building on the stuff that was. There. So I had my second uh, year exam. I, I need to do, I need, I had to talk my way back in the university, basically. I need, I would have been thrown out with the score I got. I've sat down in front. I've never experienced this. The, I'm still shuddering just thinking about it. Because I sat in front of the exam questions and I didn't understand the questions. Like that's the <laughs> that's the thing. It, it, like not only that's did like I, a nightmare I have oh, properly because it would be the question would be state and prove the something thumbsing theorem. <laughs> it'd be it'd be like 
it'd be like a language student being asked to write about a book they've never heard of in a language they don't understand. <laughs> like, just yeah, write about uh, this Swahili author. Like, it's just that it, literally is my nightmare. Like, I always have those nightmares where I haven't been in class all year and I show up at the final exam. It's that right. thing. Yeah. Well, that was that you, was you lived it. I lived that right there. Wow. And I wasn't wearing any trousers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was by choice. And my family though. was there. <laughs> it's the only way I could get through it. It's the only way they would pass you. Yep. <laughs> you got to have a talent, Kelly. You got to have a talent. You do. You do. So you started ditching class to uh, write comedy? I'd or? like to say that was true. What I actually happened was I, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I had enough time. I think I was just procrastinating and doing nothing. Uh, I was still, I was writing comedy, but I think I was doing that in the spare time that I would have had outside of the class anyway. <laughs> It's a nice romantic idea, like, yeah, screw this class, I'm going to be creative. But I think it was actually, screw this extra free hour that I would have had anyhow. <laughs> I'm going to commit to comedy. Yeah. Yeah, so I started writing, and st- well, I first started writing, there was a sort of college spoof newspaper that was kind of, you know, it, style-wise, it was very much a rip-off of, rip-off of The Onion, crossed mm. with Private Eye and Viz, which are two English or British um, mm-hmm. comedy papers, and then uh uh, I was writing for that and then I was editing it and, and then I started doing stand up in my third year. Did you graduate? I did graduate. You did? I, yeah, with a, with a middling grade. Wow. Which was impressive considering it, I went from like a decent grade in the first year to failure in the second <laughs> to just about average out in the third. I, I very carefully, I very carefully picked my courses. <laughs> like I, in the, in, in the third year, I chose the most standalone, relying on the least possible courses and the ones that were just like, work this out like the puzzle solving courses <laughs> right right go in there do the work come yeah, out and do, you're good do the sudoku and then- <laughs> <laughs> oh i love the sudoku and i'm into the ken ken now also which one's that is that the one we have to add yes sum the, up numbers, the numbers right. yeah the sum of the numbers see i'm still doing math you are <laughs> every morning reapply for a correspondence course <laughs> turn that hobbying into a degree <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> so did you start doing stand-up um yeah, near your university, or did you go to London? I start. I my first five gigs were university gigs, mm-hmm. so they were shows put on by the students with pretty much exclusively student audiences. And then in the Christmas of that year, of my final third year, um, I did my first London open spot. Mm. And then I used to, and then I spent the rest of that year. I used to get like maybe two or three times a term. I'd get the bus down uh, to London, do an open mic, and then get the bus back again. Uh huh. And my understanding of the London comedy scene is that it's pretty amazing. It's pretty vibrant. There's a lot of clubs. There's... Yeah, I think I got in at the right time as well. It's it's booming, but also there's loads more comics than there were previously. So right when I started, I, I think I sort of started a fairly golden time for that. There was just there were a lot of clubs and not that many comics. Mm-hmm. So I got to work pretty much. So you could go from like club to club in a night and do yeah. A bunch so of I, when I gigs. once I graduated, I moved back in with my parents for a couple of years. They lived on the outskirts of London anyway. Um, and I could do easily seven or eight gigs a week. Wow. That's fantastic. Which is, when you first start, stage time's everything. It's everything. Absolutely. I, I think still now it's really important, but a bit less so, you know, time off to write and think and recalculate is important too. But when you first start, the more time you can spend stood in front of an audience, just doing it. <laughs> just <practicing>. shitless. <laughs> yeah. Cause you can't, cause you, it, out of any art form, it's the one with, I think with the least ability to practice in your bedroom. You can't, you know, you can, if you're an actor, you can rehearse. Mm-hmm. Even if you're acting in a play, even though it is different when the audience comes in, you can still do most of the work previously. If you're a musician, you can practice in your bedroom and you're, 
uh, in your garage or whatever, and yeah. you can do all that kind of stuff. Um, and still, you don't you don't have the stagecraft, but you'll be the the skills, the techniques, right? The technical will be there. But stand up, most of the technical is learned on stage. Most of, I mean, sure, you know, do have you found that doing your show? Yes, because you'd not completely, really completely. Yes, you'd not really done that kind of performance before, had you? I d- I'd done a show ten years ago, right? I d- but I only performed it three times, and then I've been doing storytelling, which is like I'm up there for like five to eleven minutes, twelve minutes at a time, right? And I was doing that like once a month, once every two months. So like I feel like it's a huge step once you go from doing those. Same with stand up, when you go from doing those five to ten minute spots to your first full yep. show, your your hour, yeah. Or- yeah, and you're, awesome. and and you're on stage for so long, and you're like, "Wow, I'm still up here." <laughs> yeah, and people are still looking at me. <laughs> so, yeah, so you ever have those moments where you just so sudden moments of self realization where you go, "I could just stop talking right now, and it'd be really weird." <laughs> like if I just stopped, and everyone would just be, like, "Why is she, why is why is it just stopped?" It, I know it's like you have everyone's all looking the like, "Why are you looking power. at me?" Yeah, it's so weird. It really is. I could make this so weird right now if I wanted to. <laughs> Like I could really, I could really screw this. I could, I could fuck with these people. Yeah, I could, I could just turn this car into traffic right now. That's that's that kind of feeling. It's just, yeah. If I just stop talking for a minute, what would they do? Right, right in the middle of the sentence, I could just suddenly stop. I'd fuck it all up. Yeah, it's it's being on stage is. I think you have to be insane to want to do this on some level. I don't know. It's very addictive. Mm. It's very addictive. Like it. What's addictive about it? I don't know, but I do know if I do, if I go a while without doing gig, I get crabby. I get mm. I get tetchy. I get. But also, I write more material. I do my my biggest sort of creative burst when it comes to writing are around times like Christmas or just sort of forced hiatuses when they're you know, over Christmas when there's no there's really very few gigs happening between say the 24th and new year's eve mm-hmm. and and because i haven't had that outlet on stage my brain i start doing little sort of mini gigs in my head like <laughs> right. which is how i write most material anyway i sort of half mutter to myself and sort of do do you do you write and then go on stage or do you write on stage do you both you do both yeah um most of the time like the good writing happens on stage i think hmm. actually no that's not entirely true i think sometimes the natural writing happens on stage but Sometimes good writing happens if I actually sit down with a pen and paper. I I miss angles if I if I don't do that too. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I mean, I definitely for me for what I do, uh it's on the page for me. I, right. I find a lot more material comes and I'm always surprised. Whereas I when I'm on stage and I when I started doing my solo show, I started just standing up and telling stories and it's it's much harder because it's like, you know, if, if you're going to do a 90 minute solo show, there's got to be some sort of major through line and all that kind of you're stuff. Right, yeah. so you really have to work on the weaving and the craft. And your show is very it. much themed as well. So mm-hmm. it's, you've got a story that you want to be telling. Uh, absolutely. And, and I find that there's, uh, you know, it's, it's, but it's different too, because like now what I'm doing after being, having it all memorized and now I'm just on stage doing it, I'm now I'm finding the moments. Like the the writing's there, but the moments are now revealing yeah, and they all, themselves. They sometimes happen just by accident. You'll sort of you'll phrase something in a different way than you have just because something happens in your brain. You just go, oh, you blurt it out that way, and the audience laughs. And then you take a beat. You go, oh, why did they? Oh, yeah. And then you suddenly realize there's a whole extra angle in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a lovely way to discover material. It just 
I don't, I, again, I don't know whether it's the same when you've written a full show and taken it out because I've never, I've, even my full shows when I've done festivals haven't been built up that way. They've all come from getting bits of material and piecing them together and, and that kind of thing. But, um, but do you, do you ever find that you take an idea on and the bit of it that you think is going to be, this is the killer bit just flops, but the bit leading up to it suddenly gets. Yeah, I, absolutely. I've, I've found that there's, um, moments where I'm shocked on stage that the audience is laughing, you know, right. or, and plus I have visuals up. So pictures come up and I haven't quite learned in some spots that there's certain pictures that they go for. Right. And I didn't think it was going to be that funny. And it comes up and I'm like, and I like start to step on it and I'm like, Oh no, they're really, they're laughing. That's right. We need to let them have their moment. You yep. know, I've seen these pictures. They haven't. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, what? It's that picture. What? <laughs> You see it a thousand times in rehearsal? Why? Exactly. And it's the same picture from last night, you idiots. <laughs> I've look, been looking at this picture my entire life, people. Yeah. It's not that funny. Yeah. It's in the hallway. Why? <laughs> it's from, it's literally from the hallway. Why are you laughing at this picture that is just off of the hallway? Exactly. Exactly. But, but it's, uh, I don't know, but you know, stand up is a different, it's just a different creature completely than, storytelling although what you know you do you know i i love your style because you you have this way of of telling these great stories and you 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 have this um uh way of kind of pausing and then you add a little bit and then you add another little bit oh thanks and and i just love that because you think it's you think the like you think the thought is complete and then no you come up with another little well, that's thought. the way i've always written like i i i'm generally quite good at writing that for other people as well i'm really I think one of my things I find easiest when it comes to comedy writing is tagging, like topping and retopping jokes. Mm-hmm. I find that comes kind of naturally. You just, you see the angle and you go, oh, okay, well, here's a right angle to that. And then here's another right angle to that. And then you just keep whipping up, whipping yeah, it around. And a lot of that happens on stage. Like that's the kind of thing that regularly happens when I'm just, while the, if, if it's a good audience, then while they're laughing at that line, my brain's kind of thinking, oh, hang on. There's an, oh, that's the way. <laughs> nice. Nice. Have you found, um, when did you first come to the States and start doing comedy? Um, properly when I came over for last comic, oh, okay. uh, which was 07, but I, I did in 03, I very briefly came over. It was a family trip. My sister was at San Diego university for a year and the whole family went over and I went over a, a week earlier and just potted around LA, did a couple of, like I did two spots. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, I properly came over for last comic. So they, they arranged all the paperwork. They did, they got me my first visa. Right. And have you found that there's a difference between British and American audiences? Yes. What is that? Yes, I have. I think here's the thing. American audiences are mu- much more agreeable to a fourth wall. Oh, okay. British audiences, people like you get this from Americans who go over to the UK going, Oh, they heckle a lot more yeah. and they do. And there's a lot more interaction, but I think that's because Brits seem to think it's more of a conversation. Uh, <laughs> here's my pet theory. And I, actually, this is one of the few shows where I can Excellent. talk about this. Here's my little pet theory. I'm, I'm more than willing for it to be disproven. American comedy is 25 years or so older than British stand-up comedy of that format. Mm-hmm. You know, British British comedy prior to that existed in kind of two forms. It existed in the sort of the Oxbridge lot of the kind of sketch performers, the Peter Cooks and of this world doing doing monologues, but not really doing stand-up of that style. Mm-hmm. And then the sort of working men's clubs where they were telling a lot of third-person jokes, you know, man walks into a pub kind of jokes. Right, right. Um, but then what sort of became the modern stand-up circuit started around 
the late 70s. Mm-hmm. Whereas in America, it started around the kind of 50s with, with your dad and with people and a few right. of his predecessors uh, and contemporaries. Here's my pet theory. American comedy started in the jazz era. Uh-huh. In jazz clubs, uh-huh. British comedy started in the punk era, punk era amongst uh-huh. punk clubs. Oh, I love this theory. So American audiences still have that mentality where you sit back and you're watching a performance happen. Yes. Whereas British audiences like like to be attacked. They like the performance. <laughs> they want to throw be, a bottle. At well, they someone. like the performer, <laughs> even, if not physically, but sort of verbally attacking the audience and attack back. They like that sort of sparring of uh-huh. of ch- chat and counter chat. And what they really don't respond to, certainly, is when American comics come over, the thing that really they need to adjust is sometimes, you know, in an American club, and particularly if you're doing, say, a late night set, there's nothing like on one of the sort of the Letterman's or Leno's or whatever. There's nothing unusual about just launching straight into your material. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's Because that's the style from the monologues as well. You just you can walk on and go, so I was in. Mm -hmm. You cannot do that to a British audience. They're like, why is he? It'd be like walking straight up to someone in the street and just going, so I noticed, you just go, well, just, who, who the hell, say hello, <laughs> say hello greet to us, me. Yeah. bond with us, wa- let uh, us warm to you. Oh, okay. Interesting. But my, this, my pet theory is that it came from, it's mm. two different eras. Yeah, yeah. I like this theory. I don't think anyone can really disprove it because, you know, it's, it's, it's a good, like, social theory. So, it you is, know. I, th- I, I, I know, it could, I think some, there are probably some counter examples, but, and there were some people previously in the UK who were doing similar things and, but yeah, comedy is a much older art form in America. Comedy is an art form in America in that this kind of format is about 50 years old. Right. In the UK, it's about 30. And who were some American comics that came up, like, or that the UK, he's like, I know my dad. My dad never went, my dad went there once, I think. Yeah, this is a really but interesting one. He's, he, no one really knows Carlin in I, the UK, which is the, considering how ubiquitous he is in the right, like, how, you know, he's a household name here. Everyone yeah. knows and he's what, one of the fathers of, of stand-up comedy and everyone's aware of him. But in the UK, he's probably best known for being the guy from Bill and Ted. Like he really, Yeah, yeah. And I know that comics know my dad in the UK. They do, but, but, but the average But even citizen, people who write about comedy, like it was certainly newer journalists wouldn't ne- yeah. Um, would know Bill Hicks a hundred times right. over him. Well, because he went there. Because and Hicks actually- used to go to the, which has led to a very lazy shorthand where any political comedian with Becomes an American accent Hicks. goes like, Oh, in the vein of Bill Hicks. No, you, that's just the only one you're aware of. He was a great comic. Don't get me wrong. He was yeah. a phenomenal comic. Yeah. But he wasn't, he didn't start that art form. Mm-hmm. So you get people, I, I've seen, for example, I've seen Glenn Wool. Mm-hmm. Um, who's a Canadian comedian, who's a wonderful comedian. Yeah. I've seen him be lazily compared in a review to, to Hicks. And, you know, they're nothing alike. Nothing they're, alike. They yeah. both have North American accents. <laughs> they both do material sometimes about politics and sometimes about drugs. Right. Their styles are wildly different. Their outlooks are wildly different. The yeah. only, they're, they're both excellent comedians. <laughs> but that, that's, that's where the comparison should end. They're both bipeds. Right. Yeah. Give them that. Stanhope gets it all the time as well. Yeah. Stanhope. Well, yeah. That's interesting. Because <laughs> again, they sort of, I guess the comparison between Stanhope and Hicks goes further in terms of he's also, he's the next political American comedian who's substantially bigger in the UK than he is in the US. Yeah. Which is true. In, in, in Britain, Doug's selling out theaters now, which is wonderful. Right. Whereas just, in the UK, he, sorry, in the US, he's, you know, but, he sells well, but he's but playing he, rock clubs and, and comedy clubs. Yeah, yeah, most people don't know. Which who is he similar is. to what Hick, the level Hicks was at. Hicks was selling theaters. Yeah, when he was still selling out comedy cl- selling comedy clubs in America. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Lenny Bruce did come over. He did. Yeah, I think that was um. Yeah, Peter Cook had him playing at the Establishment Club. Wow. Yeah, and 
Yeah, it's it's just it is. It's fascinating to me. And my dad never went over there. I mean, it's, did he? So you say he went over once. Did he do shows when he went I over that know. one time, we or were, did he just I was visit? A, I was a kid. We went to London and um, we went to Madrid, and I think he was there and he did a show or something. He was hanging out with a bunch of musician friends too. And right, um, but he wasn't there to work. It was a family. When was kid. this? Like this was like sixty six, sixty seven. So he was straight. He had short hair and no beard, and he okay. was doing straight material then. So so would that have been around the time? I don't know when the establishment club was happening but that yeah, might have been around that it might have been yeah yeah because well lenny was already dead by then so yeah okay yeah 66 lenny was dead 67 See, yeah. i don't know whether it even was yeah it's weird. that would have been around the kind of time that the pythons were starting to come up yeah the pythons Maybe. were a little later just a little they, bit sort of they were early 70s actually. early 70s yeah 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 and then they they became big here in the states then like the mid 70s yeah because we watched them on pbs right <laughs> Um, so before you go, um, there was something else I wanted to ask you. Um, but um, but um, but um, but um, but um, but um, oh yeah, I did want to ask you this. Um, when you started out, did you start out with like more autobiographical material and then kind of turn your view outward and yeah, and then and what was that like that transition for you to go from this, which we all know so much about our own brain and everything, to like having an opinion about the world? I don't remember. I don't remember a single sort of transition stage. I remember a gig where suddenly I thought the only sort of breakthrough gig I remember early days was the first time I did more than one line of improvising. Oh, okay. Like that's the, and I have a real clear memory. I could tell you it, it was you know a club called The Laughing Horse. It was in Soho. And I just remember talking to an audience member. He said something. I said something back. And then rather than instantly grabbing back onto that safety rail of material, I did another line and then one more. And it was a bit like, you know, it's sort of ice skating and you just go <laughs> step away from the edge for a little, and then rather than instantly regrabbing, you go, oh, oh. Uh, so I remember that gig really clearly. I, I couldn't tell you when, like, I mean, when I first started out, I looked, I mean, I looked very young. So I had a, I had a lot of material about that. Right, right. I mean, even now I, you know, I'm 31, 32 this year and I, I can still get carded. I still, I can still pass for sort of early twenties. <laughs> when I started, I was 21 and I looked, I looked teenage. Ten. Yeah, it looked ridiculous. <laughs> Like, I looked like I shouldn't be in that venue. Right. Um, so I had a lot of material about that, sort of getting the retaliation in early, just sort of, <laughs> yep, I wear, this is what I look like, and then, and then stuff. Um, I don't know, I think I was probably, I was definitely dafter when I first started. I was more absurdist. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. And I think now I'm going back to that a bit. It was a period when that kind of material didn't work for me because my stage persona was too knowing. But I think I've got the comfort on stage now where I can be I can be silly again, but with a wink to the audience that I know what I'm talking like, mm-hmm, talking about. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there, there was you know, there was a weird period where I had some of these jokes that just didn't that stopped. They used to be some of my biggest laughs, and they stopped working. Huh. And I eventually worked out. Oh, it's because I look more confident on stage. I look more authoritative. Oh, so right. They, so they can't believe they're that not I'm the buying idiot. it. Yeah, they're not buying it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and having to. Yeah, you have to really get that, that there's something about the way the audience holds you in their mind. Yeah, and I'm really enjoying now, like a lot of the material I'm writing now is going back, is sort of doing some political material or things like that, but with a faux naivety, mm-hmm. which is really fun. It's, yeah. it's really fun wandering through that topic, playing the idiot. You know, it's, I try to do that on Twitter and you can't get away with it on Twitter because people take you so literally. Oh, I loved it. It's my favorite thing to do. And on I tw- love being an idiot and people were like, well, like actually like, correct me and i'm like really i oh, i knew that my <laughs> absolute favorite thing on twitter is to write intentionally wrong things like stupid like, um uh, like on a on on may the 4th uh last year 
where everyone's doing like everyone's making that same joke about the date right so i intentionally wrote um something like um uh let the fourth of may be with you <laughs> and then hashtag star trek <laughs> and <then> just <laughs> and waited for the corrections to come in it was a joy that's fantastic <laughs> and they do like ah oh, no actually it's yeah. The May the Fourth be with you, uh, Jen oh, Kirkman. Really? Jen Kirkman did one of my favorite ones of these recently. Um, if you look back on her on her Twitter timeline a couple of days ago during the Grammy feed, mm-hmm. uh, she yeah, you saw it right. She oh she kept writing these things about. Oh, um, she, I was did watching, you see it? Yes. Oh, it was wonderful. She wrote yeah she wrote this thing about like my friend just told me Paul McCartney was in the Beatles. <laughs> idiot, he was in Wings. <laughs> And then there was another one later about Dave Grohl. How, like, no way he was in Nirvana. He'd right. have to be 70 years old. And, just, <laughs> right. and, and, I, and you see people's reactions. No, really, here's the link. Here's the link yeah, to the, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. He really's in it. And then she's like, yeah, I know there was a guy who was also called Dave Grohl who was in Nirvana. <laughs> and just different face. It was, I was piercing myself laughing at that. Oh, she's great. She's really fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's some of my favorite type of humor. Just. So people, so me. people out there, let us be idiots. We're trying to be funny. Like, don't take everything so literally, please. <laughs> oh, it's just a joy. <laughs> I really do. I love just dropping things like that, sitting back and seeing what happens. Yeah, it is. It's fun. You watch like everyone like goes into a frenzy. Yep. Everyone has to be so right about everything and have to, everyone has to show off their knowledge. That's what I always well, love. Yeah. And there's nothing more fun than someone being arrogantly wrong. <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing I enjoy more. I, the two things that made me love most are the sort of arrogant wrong and just the well-meaning fool. I yes, just, yes. I love well-meaning fool. It really. It's I, 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 I just want to be that in life. The well-meaning fool. Yep. Will you let me? Just, it, it's what the, I wrote a radio show with my friend Nick, uh, Nick Duty, who's a great comic. You should check out. Um, but the thing, the, the sketches we enjoy writing the most are the ones where there's just one character who means nothing but the best, who has nothing but the best intentions, but is just doing the most awful thing. <laughs> it just, it, it's it like Mr. Just, Bean. That's why Mr. Bean works so well. We, yeah, we, <laughs> Well, darling, um, thank you so much for coming by. Oh, thank you, Kelly. Can I make, can I just quickly plug the science podcast? Plug that I just the doing? shit out of whatever you want. We just honey. started, I think your fan base, uh, the kind of people we'd like to listen to this. We Excellent. just started doing a podcast called Probably Science. Uh, yeah, it's called Probably Science and it's just, uh, me and two other comics from a vaguely science background who don't really know what we're talking about anymore. And then some occasional guests and we're just going through the topical, the most recent science news stories. That sounds great. So it's really fun. Wow. I, can I bring a copy of my periodic table or something? You absolutely can. Let's get you on the show and we'll get you to talk us through which elements mean the most to you. We'll discuss the noble gases. The noblest of all the... <laughs> well, thank you, Matt. Are you doing any gigs here in LA in the next week? Oh, I'm doing... Uh, what we're we doing Setlist at Meltdown <gasps> next week. That's right. Setlist at Meltdown, people. Go check it out. Yeah. If you don't know what Setlist is, um, go check it out on the internets. There's some clips on there and it's the improvised, stand-up. improvised stand up. Improvised stand up. And, uh, Matt's been doing it a lot. You were doing it a lot in the UK. We did it in London. Paul Prevenza's involved. Yes. Troy Conrad's Troy baby. Con- and it's, yep. it's so much fun. We've had amazing people show amazing up. Amazing people show up for it. And I guess if, I don't know, you have listeners across America, don't you? I, I do. Yes. If I don't know on the off chance you've got anyone at either Skidmore College or College of William and Mary, I'm there next weekend. Both of those. I believe and, those are the seven sisters. And then Denver, Colorado. You must have some Denver I'm listeners. I'm sure there's got to be a Denver. In March. At, at least two Denver listeners. Well, look out for me at the Comedy Works. <laughs> those two. Come up and say hello. Fantastic. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much. It's been a real joy. My pleasure. 
Uh, we're going to take a little break here. Uh, I'm going to play a little song from um, my new friend, Adil Amar, who's here. And uh, and then he's going to be on the microphone in a, uh, in about four minutes. Enjoy. Stake orange foundation. I'm a foreign damnation that you're borderline waiting. Yeah. Horrified Satan with an angel to punch. Cause all these cookie gutter fuckers be faking the fuck. Yeah, uh, so many babies yapping. Talking about a revolution like the Tracy Chapman. Bitching like a motherfucker making the game rack. Complaining how I'm faking, how I'm taking my race back. Afford Depends on how you look at it. Rude boy status so bad, but damn, I'm good at it. I should have been king as I open your minds. My revelation bricks through to live a hope for the blind. I make a terrorist, terrorist, prepare for his funeral. And I'm way beyond your government's apparent approval. The most hated, but I know there's no greater power junkie on the binge. And damn, I'm so hated. <laughs> Once again, 
the Twitterverse has brought me a guest. Uh, this person found me on Twitter. I don't remember, remember when, maybe nine months ago or so. And, uh, said, Hey, I'm a fan of your dad's and something like that. And I went and clicked and checked him out. And I was like, wow, this person's all the way in Islamabad, Pakistan and knows about George Carlin. My mind was blown and, uh, kind of been swapping tweets back and forth. And then you sent me a link to that video. And I was like, okay, there's something really fascinating going on here that I need to find out about. And so this gentleman, this young man, Adil Omar, uh, said, I'm coming into town. And I'm like, well, come to my house Friday <laughs> night. And I'm like showing all my friends the video and everything like that. And then he comes walking into my house and it's like the nicest, calmest, sweetest young person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking – Okay, this image in the video versus the image of this person who just walked in is so wonderful because I can tell how playful you are and how Thank wonderful. You. So welcome to my podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's fantastic to have you. You've been in town for about a week now. Yes. And you are here making music. I mean, uh, I've made most of the music. I'm just finishing up a few things on my album. Okay. I have a few meetings. Fantastic. Yeah. And who are you? Um, okay. Well, first of all, I just, okay. I just, first, let's just start at the beginning. So I'm going to play the ignorant American. Okay. Because I am. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you, you, I mean, like, here's, here's an example. When I was in Paris, France, 15, almost 20 years ago, my husband and I were on our honeymoon and we were at a laundromat doing our laundry. Um, and, uh, this gentleman, he was middle aged. Oh, you're Americans or whatever. And he said to me, um, so do you, carry a gun everywhere and i said excuse me he goes well you're an american i watch on all the cop shows everyone has guns in your country and i'm looking at him like okay you watch a way too much television and you're getting your idea of who america is through ma mainstream media so here i am an american and i get my idea of what pakistan is like through cnn and places like that and and then i see your amazing video and listen to your music and and i'm thinking I don't understand this. How can you be coming from an extremely conservative country and yet get away with saying fucking asshole <laughs> <laughs> and listening to hip hop music? Please explain to me, Adil. I mean, um, it's a, it's not, it's a bit of a divide between, uh, liberal and conservative. What's the percentage on that? Like, how does that? I mean, I think it's, it's probably mostly conservative, but uh -huh. it's also a generational thing. I think now there's a lot of kids who just want progression, who want freedom. And I think that's what, um, I think that's the direction we're headed in, hopefully. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, that certainly is a generational thing. And, uh, when in your country, so you discovered hip hop music through the internet, I'm guessing? I or? mean, um, before the internet, it used to, I mean, in the, in the 90s, a lot of people did listen to hip hop and gangster rap and stuff back in, uh, in, in Pakistan. But, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think I discovered it when I was like four or five through my cousins. Mm. And then, um, I mean, I've been listening to, listening, to, I, I listen to everything, but I've been, I've been writing rap music since I was about nine years old. Wow. Yeah. That's very cool. And, and what is it about rap music that is for you the right art form? How did, why does it work for you? I don't know. I, I don't even remember. I just remember that I've, I've done it for as long as I can remember. And mm. beyond that, I've just wanted to uh, to do it. But now I'm I'm kind of at the point where 
I mean, uh, rap and hip hop will will always be my like my core. But mm. I'm just um I'm experimenting with with a lot more genres of music. I'm 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 do I'm just uh I'm bringing. I think that. I mean, I I I believe in progression and evolution, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm trying to do with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just trying to stay like stay a, stay like any other hip hop artist. I I do want to progress and evolve and and try new things. Uh, who were some of the people who um, influenced you as a as a musician and and as a writer? Like, who who were some of the first people that really you ter- got turned on by? And I mean, um, uh, when I was little, I used to listen to. Um, Everlast, Cypress Hill, House of Pain, um, Tupac, Wu Tang Clan. But then I, I, I grew a little older, and then I, I know I, I got more into like Johnny Cash and Neil Young as well, and Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. So I have like a like mm. a good balance of, mm. of a bunch of different stuff. Beautiful, yeah, Johnny yeah. Cash. There's some heart and soul. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I have this this theory that um that Folsom Prison Blues was probably influenced gangster rap and like like more than more than people acknowledge. <laughs> wow, or, yeah. I like this theory. No, it's it's true. I mean, if you just listen to that song, the way it's written, like what it's about. Yeah. That that is gangster rap almost. Yeah. 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 There's something you know. It's because generationally for me, so I'm 48. And so for me coming up in high school, it was, uh, new wave, punk, disco. That was, you know, that was, was happening for me. Of course, rock was still continuing and I was very influenced by rock. Those vinyl records behind me were my dad's vinyl records from the sixties and the seventies. So that's like the collection that I grew up in right there. And then of course the extension of that. And then for me in my, you know, twenties and then when, when rap and hip hop came, I was kind of, it, it, I wasn't of that influential age yeah. anymore. It didn't hit me. So it's not my generational thing. And, and yet I, when I listen to it and I, I mean, I'm a, I, I'm a big R and like old school R and B yeah, fan, like God. funk. <laughs> <laughs> thank God. I'm a funk girl. Like you're going to be listening to it. Yeah. I was like worried you're, you're like a Chris Brown fan or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, do not like the Chris Brown. Uh, but there's something about the, Mm, the 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 fire in that music yeah definitely yeah that's it's an important emotion yeah that needs to be expressed exactly i i totally agree with that and it's interesting um i was i was talking to to someone and they said that um and this is someone who grew up listening to to like heavy metal and stuff and he said that i like rap music because i mean it's something you can chill to and listen to and you know it has like beat and stuff but then it even has that same anger mm-hmm. so it's not completely Mm-hmm. It's not completely mellowed out. So yeah. it's, a, it's a good balance of of like of like a good rhythm, like a good beat, and and some good anger. And something to and there's something about pushing up against the status quo that's exactly. so important. Always yeah. pushing, uh, evolving, like you said, yeah. the evolution yeah, of it. You know, and yet there's this other part of kind of the hip hop rap scene where it's you know misogynistic yeah. and it's drugs and it's about flashing money and yeah. although that seems to be kind of dying out a little bit. That whole thing. I mean, um, uh, I, I I don't know. I think the no, it's it's not. It's dying not out. no. I mean, it used to be cooler back then because it, it it had like like the whole badass gangster mm-hmm. thing attached to it, mm-hmm. and I mean, it used to be kind of like I mean, it was still I, I mean, as as a, as a form of entertainment, sure, it's it's fun, but I I obviously wouldn't wouldn't ever agree with um any any of that gangbanger misogynistic shit, but um 
I mean, now it's just, they've just commercialized like the misogyny and the money flashing and the cars and, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty disgusting now. Well, because it seems to like undermine the evolution of thought. It does. Period. You know, yeah. it's like, it's like you want to evolve and you're pushing up against the status quo and yet you're undermining it by saying, I just want to fuck whores and collect money. You know, it's I like, I mean, and it's fine to want to fuck whores and collect money, but I mean, <laughs> there's got to be something deeper. And if you're, if you're going to make music, if you, if, if you have that responsibility as an artist, you know, like, I mean, there is something, I mean, I don't know. There's just something deeper you have to tap into. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that that fucking whores and collecting money, although that could be fun, I don't think it's worth rapping about. <laughs> what is worth rapping about? I mean, a- anything. Anything that necessarily hasn't been done. I mean, you you can even rap about, about fucking whores and, and collecting money. But there's, I mean, there's tasteful ways about doing everything. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you just overdo that shit. It just, um, I don't know. Well, and I think, you know, I mean, like, and this kind of comes with age too, is, you know, I mean, we've all had our section in our lives, or, or some haven't, but, but where you kind of, you, you do the drugs, you, you know, you, you, you get into this, you know, the, the, the trivial symbol, you know, things and fast cars or whatever and yeah. your sex and all that. And it's all great fun and all of that. But like you said, after a while, it's like, okay, and now what? Yeah. And you know, now what's what's worth life. And I was reading something about you uh, I think someone interviewed you about um Pocky Rombo and it, there's a real tongue in cheek thing that you do in that video. I mean, I th- I think that's why it was so funny when I got to meet you. It was like, "Oh, like I really really got the video then when I met you. I was like, "Okay, he's really you're you're playing and you're having fun." Yeah playing out the characters exactly. because by the way you play a really good badass motherfucker i do <laughs> <laughs> you really do and it's awesome and i'm jealous it's like i want to play a badass motherfucker damn it that looks like fun yeah exactly i mean um yeah it's 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 all just i mean i'm, I'm an entertainer i have music where i'm where where you know which is deep which is serious and i even have stuff like this where i'm playing out a badass motherfucker mm-hmm it's fun. It's yeah. it's a it's it's and really really well done that video. Who did that with you? Uh, that was that was a filmmaker um, couple, Shabazz Shigri and Aisha Linia. They're good friends of mine, and um, it's actually the soundtrack to their feature film. Oh. And their feature film is called Gold Chucker, and they offered me a role in that, but I couldn't take it because I was traveling. But um, I gave them this for the soundtrack, and they insisted that we turn it into a single and and into a video for it. I wasn't planning on releasing Packy Rambo as a, as a single but I'm glad I did. Yeah, I, I it's really yeah. fantastic. It, it's beautiful. The look is beautiful and the imagery and it's it's it fun is. to watch and uh Yeah, they're doing my my next video as well. Oh good. Yeah. That's that's great. So, what's it been like for you? So you got it like over 100,000, over 150,000 hits on YouTube with that and I think another almost 200,000. Yeah, so yeah. what's this like for you like, you know, this kid from Islamabad doing this stuff and now you're getting international attention? I mean, um it it used to be like uh I don't know, I I was kind of like a lot more turned on by by the whole um I don't know by by the attention when I like mm-hmm. I'd, say, I'd say like up to like a year or two ago it was a lot I, I was like much more turned on by it I was like wow I'm getting you know recognition and this is awesome and this and that but I don't know now that I am actually getting recognition it's it's fine I mean as long as I'm happy with 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 my work that's what matters it, it, like everything else is 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 just a bonus I'm mm. I'm not like I mean it doesn't distract me now as much as it used to. Mm. 
You've got a good head on your shoulders, man. (laughs) Your parents did a good job with you. Thank you. Because, you know, there's some people in this town who have been in this business for 30 years and still haven't figured that out. I mean, I was just having a conversation yesterday with a friend of mine and and I was talking about that kind of that same thing. It's like now that I have some things going at the solo show and stuff like that, it's like now that I'm like getting the attention, it really is about, okay, that's all shiny and interesting, but it does doesn't last and yeah. and you can't chase it and you really then have to focus on the craft exactly and be really you know concerned and happy or not or whatever just focused on doing your work exactly. showing up and doing it exactly and and doing it well like giving everything your 100 percent. yeah yeah absolutely so what is what are your plans right now what are you next doing i mean um i'm just wrapping up my album i have uh, um a show in london on the first of march and i have to get back to pakistan and shoot my my next video after that which will come out like i'm guessing a week before the album comes out Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and uh there's some controversy right now about hip-hop and rap music in pakistan you you read the article i did yeah i mean i I didn't even know about that but i was i was in i was in the washington post yesterday yeah and so there's there's some sort of uh is it uh governmental wanting to i mean someone restricted or someone's just trying to make someone in the government wants to restrict it but it's it's not gonna happen i mean what is the what is your freedom of speech rights in pakistan i mean you can say whatever you want it's just um i mean just as long as there's like certain topics like like religion which you which like if i mean if as long as you you avoid that and mm-hmm. people's like beliefs and stuff you can say pretty much what you want mm-hmm. yeah. so so there's so it's, you feel pretty i, I mean, mean obviously you're a hip-hop artist and you're in yeah, pakistan I mean, so not stopping it's you. fine i'm i'm not really stepping on i mean i'm not deliberately stepping on people's toes or, or anything i mean I, right i'm, I'm just I'm, i might challenge a few things people think or or whatever but i'm i'm not really deliberately trying to be offensive or mm-hmm. or edgy you know I, mm-hmm. I mean i am what i am yeah yeah and and what do you think that people like yourself who come from you know the region you're in that have you know that has this particular history and this particular tension in it what is it do you think you can bring to this art form that like americans can't bring I don't know. I haven't really thought about that, but um, I really don't know. I I, I just um, I mean, I don't even I don't know. I, I can't even answer that. I just bring <laughs> so, what I bring, and I, I guess some of the the cultural references I I make uh people find people find those interesting. Like when they listen to Baki Rambo mm-hmm. or like a few of my other songs, they hear me make like references to Pakistani culture, and I think that's what they find interesting. I think um, I don't know. I. I I the the only the only thing which I want to do is is be um I mean I'll make music my music's universal it's not limited to Pakistan mm-hmm. but I like as far as my image goes I just like to be somewhat of a hip hop ambassador to Pakistan and just like do as much as I can to to give the country like like a like a better image because the mainstream media is pretty unfair to it yeah absolutely yeah. I mean our idea of what your country's about is you're hiding terrorists I mean we are <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> but we also have a lot more to offer, and yes, yeah, so there's yeah. like other things going on in your country. Besides exactly, that. and like barely one percent of my country is terrorist. You know, like I mean, there are there is um a rich history, and there is a a rich culture there, and there's a lot of art, there's a lot of talent and potential. But um, I'm and and, and there are a lot of great people, but it it kind of gets overshadowed by the whole terrorist and drugs yeah. and crime stuff. Yeah. 
there's other people kind of writing that narrative, clearly, yeah. the U.S. government, them being the main ones writing that I narrative. I mean, everyone. Yeah, but yeah. The, the, I mean, the Western, yeah, the Western, Western governments in general, yeah. you know, have decided this is how we talk about that region and this is all that's there. And, and I mean, I can understand why they would, but I, I even think that, you know, I, I think that all, okay, I can understand why they would, but I think that they should, um, they should also keep some sort of a balance. Well, and, and, you know, and, and that's the thing. I think that that's why it's important. That's why I wanted you to come on the show here is because it's like, I think we have to like meet each other and know each other and get that we are all the same, the same, yeah, completely. We all have the same dreams, the same aspirations, whether we're, you know, artists or doctors or lawyers or whatever we want to be on this planet. We, you know, we all want to be here and do our work and have a safe home and have food to eat and have a future. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there's this, this demonization that goes on, but, and it's, it's very sad. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 it's just, it's just so fascinating to me to, to be someone who, sits in um i don't know for me i just love like what the internet has done for the the planet in yeah. the sense that we're all able to share things that we never were able to share before and find out about each i mean twitter is like the ultimate it's like it's so interesting because you can find everything and anything there i think facebook's more interesting but in what way? Let's let's have the Facebook Twitter discussion. I mean, it's it's the same thing. I just think Facebook's it's, a lot more detailed, and you can write more on Facebook. Yeah, and, that's true. That's yeah. true. But I, and yet I found like Facebook can get very kind of politically correct too. Like people on Facebook. Yeah, get I in mean, your, I just had like an experience with that. I mean, I don't know. Like there was a, there was some um, some European uh, electronic musician who recently went to Pakistan, and I mean. I'm not, I'm not trying to talk shit, but he fucking sucks. Mm. <laughs> I mean, he really fucking sucks. You know, it's just bad music. It's badly. Right. He had like a, like a really popular song, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to hate. I'm not hating on, on his success, but apparently he went there. He charged like a shitload of money and, you know, like the tickets cost over like a hundred dollars wow. to see a shitty electro pop musician who right. makes bad music, even from an electronic and pop standard. Right. And he just apparently um, had them waiting for God knows how long and did three songs really badly and left. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I heard that and I was like, I was like, what the fuck, you know? I was like, that sucks. And I, I, I was just, I, I was just like, I, I was just, I was just, I was just talking shit on, on Facebook and everyone got super sensitive and they're like, how could you say that about Edward Maya? He, only because he's not your cup of, I was like, no, it's not about him not being my cup of tea. Lady Gaga is not my cup of tea, but she's a fucking genius and I can tell that she works hard. Edward Maya is a fucking whore socialite hack who's using a music vehicle to stroke his own fucking ego. Fuck him and fuck people like him because collectively they're dumbing down an, an entire generation and people don't see how dangerous this is mm-hmm. the values which which you know i mean, I, I don't know it's, it's it's just so fucking weird you know it's it's with it's with this modern pop music it's with r- mainstream rap music it, it, it's it's just it's disgusting you know like even all these rappers and shit i mean i don't know i i, I don't know if it's the rappers which are weird or, or if it's the audience because like most kids and most people today would 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 rather listen to rappers telling them how rich, how much richer they are than them 
and you know, like <laughs> I make ten G's, motherfucker. You 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 make this in like in like ten years, and I make ten G's in one day, motherfucker. You know this, that, bitches and hoes and all that shit. And people would rather listen to that than listen to someone like singing and writing about real shit, which people go through and people feel and stuff. I don't know. I think it's fucking bizarre. Well, I think you're hitting upon a really great point, which is that um, in general, the masses are idiots. <laughs> Yeah. I hate to say that to you, <laughs> but this is the thing. It's like, you know, the, the, the reason why mainstream is mainstream is because most people don't want to yeah. think because thinking makes you have to deal with shit. I think, I, I think that's beautiful. I, and, I mean, I would rather deal with shit and think and be totally aware and, and it, but it, but it, but it's a harder road to walk because you have to be willing to look at suffering in the face, but it makes life a lot more like, worth living of course yeah yeah i know it's it's just so it's so bizarre i mean i I don't know i just think that um i think that this is a generation that you know where i just think that the masses couldn't i i mean i I, they are idiots but i think that they could be saved you know what i mean yeah i just think that certain things and certain like certain faces in the mainstream media like who, who like these people i discussed whatever i think that they just um they're think, taking advantage of that. Yeah, they're taking advantage of that. Yeah. And I just think that they're slowing down our, our evolution. And I, and I think it's a serious thing. And if, mm-hmm. if, if I, I'm not, I'm not out there shooting anyone or killing anyone because, because they make shitty music. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it's fucking shitty, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's an insult to, to its audience. I think it's an insult to other musicians. So, you know, like, it just bugs me why people get so sensitive when I say shit like that. I mean, they can have opinions and stuff. They throw shit at me. But whenever yep. I give back, they're like, oh, my God, how could you say that? How could you say that? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just, it's. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. Well, you know, people like to defend their heroes, too. I mean, you know? yeah. I mean, but look at look at their fucking heroes. You know? <laughs> I know. But see, here's the good news about it is that. I think no matter what the generation is, that even though there are people who are asleep, there are people who, who do get to wake up. And, and w- the only reason I can say that is because I have encountered people, especially over the last three years since my dad died, who yeah. were woken up by my father. And, and it's going on still. I mean, people find his videos on Google all over the planet and say, Oh my God, I used to think A, B and C. And then I watched him and he he like really changed my mind about things. And so there is people who are willing to listen and take it in and who don't just want to be distracted and have a good time and just be numb and stupid. I mean, it's, it's fine to be numb and stupid. I mean, it's important, but again, I think it all comes down to like some sort of, there should be a balance. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, if you like Edward Maya's shitty music, I have nothing against you. I mean, I'll make fun of you for it, but <laughs> but don't tell me that he's the greatest fucking musician on earth. And when I say that he's shitty, understand that I am a musician and I have more knowledge about that. That you know, it's right. It, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it, it's not just about it's it's not about music. It's just it's just what that stands for. You know, what I mean, mm. certain things shouldn't be placed with such. I don't know they shouldn't be glorified to that extent. Yeah. It's just a bad imbalance. It's bad for art. It's bad for you. It's bad for your kids. It's, it's, it just makes every, everyone and everything dumber. And if someone like me comes out and says something about it, then we shouldn't be demonized for it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, that there is this, I mean, theory I have about that is that, you know, people are desperately always searching to glorify things. Yeah. And, and it doesn't help anything because you give your power away when you do that. 
And, um, you know, and, and like you said, I mean, everyone can have tastes. Everyone has opinions yeah. and a tastes and things like that. Um, and you actually get to have opinions and tastes too. Exactly. And if someone <laughs> hates my opinions and tastes, I will argue back, but don't tell me to shut up. You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, it's my Facebook wall. Fuck you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, everywhere. Yeah. And people, I don't know. They're just so absurd. They were like, I mean, this happened like all day yesterday. I made like 10 posts just like, just to piss people off. Like first it started off with one post and people. People were like responding to me and saying, how could you say that? How could you say that? Edward Murray is a genius. I was like, no, he's not. Next post, motherfucker. <laughs> and then, you know, it just elevated and elevated. And they're like, you're such a hater. You're this, you're that. How could you say this? And you shouldn't be telling people what they should. Do. I was like, I didn't tell you what you should do. I said, you can do what you want, but I can make fun of you for it. I can do what I want. You can make fun of me for it. But the one thing as a musician, which you can't deny. I mean, you could say what you want about my work, but you can't deny the fact that I kill myself and put a hundred percent of what mm. I do into everything I do. Mm. And someone like Edward Maya or David Guetta, they don't do that. Mm. They just make music because they're socialite whore hack musicians. <laughs> it's too bad you don't have an opinion about this. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I'm sorry that that I keep bringing it up. I love you. But I, I just have to bring this up. So yeah, I mean, this is why Facebook pisses me off. Again, like um, like the previous guest was saying, what's his name again? Matt Kirshen. Yeah, I mean, again, you could, you, if you write things on the internet which are meant to be taken with like a pinch of salt, mm -hmm. people take people take that shit out of context. Ah, oh, completely. Again, like I said yesterday, this Edward Maya shit, it was like a it was like a whatever comment. Yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be funny. Yeah, people started like, you know, like. It's like you're attacking their mother. Exactly, something. exactly. Yeah. I was. I, it's. It's not like I was. I, it's not like I was updating my Facebook. Your mother's a whore. <laughs> you know. Well, in their minds, it was. You just have to be a nicer person, sir. I'm a very nice person. <laughs> you are a nice. person. I'm a nice person, and you know, like again, like I said, I even made an. I, I made another post, and I said that regardless of what I have said to you, I love you all. You're my friends. Mm hmm. And that changes nothing. And we you know? can agree to disagree on this one. Exactly. That's what I, then what happened then? But how could you say that? How could you say that? <laughs> like, fuck you, you guys. See, this is why I, um, I have, a, I had a rule that I started about a year ago, which I must tell you is helped my sanity a lot. Um, I don't read comments on the internet anymore. Like if I go to someone's YouTube video for something of mine goes out on there or like on a Huffington Post or something, I just don't read the comments. I don't read anybody's comments because I'd say about 90% of the comments are people are batshit, completely batshit. And they're trolls and they're haters and they're horrible. And I just won't do it. And then on Facebook, when people start getting all la 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 la, I just like, you know what? I'm ignoring you. I just ignore these people now because I do not have the time to I wish I was let like my blood that. pressure go up. I mean, I, I wish I was like that. I think, um, I've heard that from Benjolet before as well. Mm -hmm. He's told me about, he's told me things like he's been like, never read about yourself, never. Yeah. It'll drive you crazy. Yeah, it, it does. But again, I'm such a narcissistic pig <laughs> that I have to see what people think of me and I have to. You'll get, you'll get burned out from that. You will. You'll, you'll, at one point you'll be like, first of all, you'll be too busy at some yeah, point. Yeah. And you but just, I mean, I, I'm still young right now, so I, yeah. I guess I can get away have, with have it. Have some fun, and, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I do have this, I, I don't know if it's, if it's OCD or if it's just, uh, I, I, I don't know, like usually when someone has something nasty to say about me, I have this urge to respond. Yeah. And I know I shouldn't, but I do. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that just comes with experience. I just love writing. I just, you know, I just want to tear someone apart and, and, whenever they. Yeah. I see why you like my dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
could see why his uh, his humor uh, you could relate to because he has that, you know, I just you know he used to tell hecklers. There's a famous story of um, a Las Vegas show he was at, and uh, husband and wife in the front, and the wife is just talking and talking and talking, and will not shut the fuck up. And finally, my dad comes up and says to the husband, "Is this your wife?" And he says, "Yes." And he says. Could you stick your cock in her mouth and shut her, <laughs> make her shut the fuck up? And the wife got up, pissed off, stormed out. The husband stayed, and my dad's like, "You're not going with her." He goes, "Fuck no! I want to see the rest of the show." <laughs> I love that about I my love dad. That. But my dad, you know, meet him on the street. Um, one of the kindest human beings yeah, on earth. I mean, I'm, you know? I'm, I'm sure. I mean, so yeah. it's like you know. I mean, again, I, I mean, from what I've heard, I'm not. I'm not addicted to people. No, I'm nice to people, you know. Yeah. I mean, but you, but I like the fire. You've got a lot of fire in you. Yeah. Thank you. It's good. We need fire. I love fire. Good. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I totally agree. And yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited about your generation. I'm excited that you are so smart and so connected and have such passion and such a vision about what you're here to do and you you really have an idea of that and i you know there's not many people your age who do and i'm i'm very that, that makes me feel like there's hope for the planet thank you really just like oh thank god because i'm middle aged and i'm getting too tired <laughs> <laughs> we need people that have lots of energy to help us turn this fucking ship around have plenty of energy oh god how are we going to turn it around are we going to turn it around i mean I, I hope so. I don't know. Yeah. I I mean, even if we don't, I'd still like to try. Yeah, we have to. Yeah. That's the way I feel yeah. about it. I mean, you know, what are you going to sit back and just eat Doritos and... Yeah, and watch fucking Jersey Shore. Yeah, no, I can't do that. And look that. up to Snooki. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I've watched that show for two minutes once. I couldn't. I like literally wanted to throw something at the yeah, television. Yeah, yeah. And I, people love this. I don't know why. I, I don't know why. It's like watching a train wreck, and train wrecks are fascinating. I get it, but no, but this isn't like I don't know. This isn't like watching a train wreck. It's like I don't know. It's just it's it's like watching um. I I, I can't even Idiots. describe it. It's, it's like <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's the fact that they're so stupid, and you makes you feel superior by watching them. No, people actually look up to these people, oh. and their justification is, oh yeah, but they're stupid. It's just funny. <laughs> But then, like, the minute you say something about Snooki, they're like, oh, my God, shut up. She's so sexy. She's so cool. I want to be like Snooki. I want to read her book. I'm like, what? Snooki has a book? <laughs> really? How the fuck did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I, someone wrote it for her. That's how the, that fucking happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we've run out of time because I want to play one, uh, one, the other track you brought. Oh um, yeah, that's um that's a unreleased track from my album called Star Power, and I mean I'm going back to the studio to, to mix to finish this. it. Yeah, I he's, mean, this it is unfinished, some, people. Yeah, it's completely raw and unmixed, but I guess I hope you guys like it. And what's the name of your album? Uh, the Mushroom Cloud Effect. God, it's such a great name. Thank you. You are a powerful poet, sir. And this is one of the more um, commercial tracks. I okay. mean, there's a lot of sad stuff and thoughtful stuff. This is just stupid, but this it's is fun. stupid fun. Yeah. Good. I like stupid yeah. fun. All right, everyone. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for coming by. Thank you for it's having such me. Such a fantastic to meet you. I feel like I've made a bond, an international bond. 
All right, everyone, support this show. Go to my website, hit the PayPal button because you know you must give me money. Um, come see me at South by Southwest March 10th. I'll be at the convention center 5 p.m. doing my show, A Carlin Home Companion. Find me on Twitter. Find me on Facebook. Find Logan Heftel on Twitter and Facebook. Find Adila Mar on Facebook and Twitter. And YouTube. Bu- and YouTube and buy his album when it comes out. Thank you, Logan. Thank you, Smodcast. Thank you, Kevin Smith. Next week is Charles Freewick's Free Ricks. I can't even talk. He's a storyteller. He's amazing. You're going to love his stories. Um, and uh, so here is uh, Star Power. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. This is a motherfucking star power. Come shot, looking like a star shower. On your paws, face shoot it out like Ron Howard. Paws powered by the deadliest essence. While I stay untouchable like Elliot Ness's. With the deadliest venom, not a rapper in sight. We fucking rock stars, rocking sunglasses at night. Smack the lights out, pussy backpackers and rappers. Wish I wasn't invited like Zach Galifianakis. Got the baddest of manners and the ticket to be the most animal savage and the pickiest diva. I hold handle my package like a valuable asset. Treat your wife like a posse, got a slap. And pass it to the next man If you're feeling froggy then jump I hang around with plenty gangsters But I ain't one Party hard till the end of the world My rap sold is fucking stay While it out on bars Like it's Coyote Ugly Yeah, give me some of that star power Yeah, give me some of that star power Star, star power Star, star power Star, star power Star, I got one hand palming the big Puerto Rican ass, one hand palming the big European ass, yo ass talking the shit. You couldn't be a Casanova like all my so take a note and just know that I'm a scumbag, an asshole. Live fast and rap slow, a douchebag with cash flowing. Big plans to grab more ass foe. I'm in it alone unless shorty's on the knee straight, giving me dumb. So I admit that I'm cold and kinda sorta withdrawn. I kinda sorta might exploit her cause it's part of the norm. Up in IS, LA, MA, VA, D Day, Need Me. Honey's getting sleazy for she's a she's So I rock it like a beast Don't know much about scratch But I'm a great vagina DJ It's easy So I don't blame you for thinking That I wouldn't grow up Or try to change how I'm living And say with no limits And you can tell that I'm stunned And I'm a never grow old Like fucking Benjamin Button Yeah Yeah Give me some of that star power Yeah Give me some of that star power Stop Stop Power Stop I got him acting like it's the return of the Antichrist. Watching as you maggots burn when my appetite's booming. The fake rappers making me hungry. How they try to knock talent and equate it with money. And you see how I try to be a reasonable guy. It seems like every motherfucker want a piece of the pie. They speak venom, sink low, cause they're eager, they die to be me. So they say I'm in a secret society and see it ain't money. That's a root of this envy. Cause I live like a bum and my bank account's empty. But I live my own life full of freedom and power. Got an army of fans to make you bleed up a shit. Hit your mark loud, talk down You can get your ego wrecked Godzilla, King Kong Screaming as I beat my chest These bitches mad Cause they album is fillers But until I stay alive I'm a natural born killer Yeah, now give me some of that star power Yeah, now give me some of that star power Yeah, now give me some of that star power 
Oh, yeah. 